Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. KQED in San Francisco, I'm Marisa Lagos and Fermina Kim, coming up on Forum. As Americans continue to process both the profound implications of a world without Roe v. Wade and a leaked Supreme Court draft opinion that's void of any meaningful discussion of what the loss of the right to abortion means for women, we give the mic to those who've had abortions to hear their experiences and what this moment means to them and to you. If you want to share your abortion story, email us at forum at kqed.org or give us a call at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. That's next, after this news. This is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim. The decision to terminate a pregnancy is rarely easy, and the reasons women choose abortions are varied. Some are parents who don't want another child. Some feel too young to become a parent. Some can't bear to birth a child conceived in sexual violence. Some are afraid of the risks of pregnancy, and some simply don't want to be pregnant. This hour, as Americans' nearly 50-year-old constitutional right to an abortion approaches its probable end, we're going to hear stories from those who've chosen to terminate their pregnancies and what concerns them most about life in a post world. Joining us first is Renee Bracey Sherman. She's founder and executive director of We Testify. It's an organization dedicated to the leadership and representation of people who have abortions. Welcome to Forum, Renee. Thanks for being here. Um, I guess to start off, can you tell us a little bit about We Testify and how you share your story? Yeah. Well, We Testify was founded back in 2016, the summer right before the election, because we knew that no matter who became president, abortion access was still going to be under attack across the states, across the country. And obviously, it would be a bit worse with one of the presidential candidates than the others. But we knew that we needed to change the conversation and really build a culture of love and support for people who have abortions, and particularly elevating the voices of people of color who've had abortions, queer folks, um, undocumented folks, formerly incarcerated folks, parents, really all of us who have abortions to make sure that our voices were part of the conversation. And I did that because when I had my abortion at age 19, I'm a biracial black woman, and I actually didn't know any other black women who had abortions other than the rapper Lil' Kim. 
And I had a cousin who was white, and I knew that she had an abortion. And and after sharing my story publicly, I met so many other people of color who have who've had abortions. And then, of course, so many other people in my family who shared their abortion stories. And four years after I shared my abortion story, my mother told me that she also had an abortion before me. And so her ability to access abortion care in the early 1980s made it so that my life was possible. And that really just brought this this whole thing home to me of abortion is a piece of how we grow our families or don't grow our families. It is a part of, of all of us in our lives. And we need to have that conversation. Renee, do you mind telling us a little bit about your experience? Because I know uh, reading about it, you came from, you know, what you describe as a progressive family where you talked openly and yet you still did not share this news with virtually anyone in your family, I believe, yeah. for several years. Yeah. I um, I mean, I, my, both of my parents are nurses. And so we talked openly about healthcare and sex and sexuality. My mom sat me down and had the conversation about periods and, you know, got me signed up at this, uh, my high school where I could get birth control and, and was supportive of that. But I was in a really toxic relationship with a really not so nice boyfriend. And my parents were just disappointed that I continued to date him. And so when I became pregnant, I was afraid that I was going to get that I told you so look that, you know, you can get from your parents sometimes. And I was afraid that they were going to be really disappointed in me. And although I knew they would have supported my decision to have an abortion, I wasn't ready to talk to them about it. And I wasn't ready to get that disappointed look. And <laughs> yeah. thankfully, my parents had talked to me about all of my options. And, and I knew that abortion was a valid option. I'd heard my mom say it to one of my friends at one point. So I knew what I needed to do. And I wanted an abortion. And it was actually a really easy decision for me because I knew I did not want to be pregnant. I did not want to parent. And that if I continued this pregnancy, I would be stuck in this relationship and not able to do all of the things that put me on the path where here today I spend my life supporting people who've had abortions to share their stories. So yeah. I'm really grateful for my abortion and for my mother's. And can you um, just talk about the experience itself? Because it struck me, uh, you know, I think we have a lot of stories in our heads about what the actual experience might be like. And of course, it's different for all women. But yours was in the moment even a relatively positive one, correct? Yeah, my abortion, I mean, I say it's some of the best healthcare I've ever had in my life because the the nurses, the the clinic staff were so kind and welcoming, right? They know that we're coming in with a lot of stigma and shame. Sometimes we're experiencing protesters outside who are screaming at us. And so at the clinic I went to, they held my hand. They were really supportive. I had an Orthodox Jewish nurse who held my hand as I, the sedation took over and counted back with me. And there were butterflies on the ceiling and, and everyone really like walked me through the experience. So I felt in control and supported. And then that nurse, she was so kind when I woke up after the sedation was done. The procedure was about 10 minutes, but no time had passed uh, for me because of the sedation. And so when I woke up, I woke up a little groggy and she sat and just talked to me about 
how to care for myself, made sure I had access to birth control and talked to me about my future. And that was really amazing. And now not everybody's experience is that way, right? Because I work with some storytellers who've had not so great experiences, particularly if someone's pressuring them um, not to have an abortion and so they don't feel supported. Um, or, you know, I've worked with storytellers who are trans or um, non-binary and maybe don't have their gender identity represented or, mm-hmm. or recognized and, and respected at the clinic and, and some who do, right? And so I think what we should be doing is making sure that everyone has a wonderful um, abortion experience or all pregnancy experiences, whatever healthcare you get, you should be having a loving and supported and respected experience. And that should be the norm, not the exception. We are talking about first-person abortion stories with Renee Bracey Sherman. She's founder and executive director of We Testify, which is an organization dedicated to helping represent and and lead people who've had abortions. And I want to bring in a caller from Oakland. Uh, Joyce, go ahead. Uh, We're going to bring in Joyce in just a second here. Is she ready? Oh, there you are. Hey, Joyce. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for taking the call. And thanks so much for uh, sharing your story as well. Um, I'm uh, of Korean descent and um, got an abortion in September around the time when the Texas law um, (laughs) went in. And um, it was a very considered decision, a very, very, the toughest decision of my life. But um, I made the decision that was right for me. And at about... um, Six weeks. Um, I learned that it was about six weeks because my period was late uh, by one week and um, got the abortion a couple weeks later. Um, it was just a yoke at the time and it was uh, gently suctioned out of me. And uh, the doctor who did the procedure at a clinic in, uh, through UCSF was just like, this is uh, one of the safest procedures in the world. And so, and, and, it, and the whole procedure was, uh, took about a few hours because that also included time to um, take muscle relaxants and really make a considered decision about it. They asked me several times, are you sure? And I said, yes. And my partner held my hand and it was suctioned out of me. And it was way less painful than getting an IUD inserted. (laughs) So um, what what this really tells me, you know, with this Roe v. Wade situation is that it's a vested effort to control women. They don't freaking care about women or even the subsequent children that we could potentially have because the country doesn't even support families so um it's it's just a form of legislative rape in my opinion and i just want to make it very clear that it's very very um it was a very straightforward and easy procedure well thanks for calling joyce i'm curious um is this something that you have shared before that you feel comfortable talking about with friends and family? Oh, um, I, I feel like it's like slowly unfolds. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a lot of um, pronatalist um, bias, I think. So it really kind of depends. But even my, my, my best friends who have children who really support me as a person totally get it. But I don't feel like it's openly shared because there is a lot of uh, judgment, unfortunately, around women who decide to make a choice. Well, we really appreciate you sharing with us. And, um, you know, that's one of the reasons we wanted to host this show today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity and the platform and for making these stories visible. Yeah, Renee. Thank you. uh, 
you know, Renee, you do this all the time. I'm curious, um, what what is the power that you find in, in folks sharing? I imagine some of it's for those of us listening, but it's also about the person talking. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm doing my best to fight back tears so I don't mess up the audio or anything. No, you're but, good. <laughs> um, I mean, I just... When someone decides to share their abortion story with the world, I mean, it just, it is the most beautiful thing, right? Because they are stepping into a space, into a culture that tells them that everything about their experience, their voice, everything that they did, their decision does not deserve to be heard. And they're taking that chance anyway. And I think it's just so beautiful to hear brave folks sharing their stories and saying, yeah, I did this, and I don't want to feel alone anymore. Part of the reason I started this work is because I felt so alone. And I finally met other people who'd had abortions, and we talked about our stories. It was over lunch, and and it just really brings out that that courage, that um, that need to to really connect. And I think it's, it's so beautiful. Actually, um, a couple of days ago on Friday, I interviewed Gloria Steinem. And so I'm writing a book. And so we interviewed her for the book. And she was talking about just how, we, as natural people, as human beings, we need to have connection, right? There's all the chemicals that are made in our brains when we talk to other people and, and hear stories. That's how we're hardwired. And so I think that's the really beautiful thing about stories. You feel an automatic connection to someone who's telling you their truth yeah. and you can't do anything but want to hug them and love them and support them and you may have a, a different feeling about abortion but it is really difficult to dismiss someone who is trusting you with their story absolutely we're talking with renee bracy sherman she's founder and executive director of we testify and we are talking uh two women and uh renee and we're going to bring in a couple others after the break to talk about their first person abortion stories if you've had an abortion or thought about having one tell us about the decision you made and how you're processing the probable end of roe v wade you can give us a call now at 866-733-6786 that's 866 733-6786. We'll talk to you soon. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim. Uh, we are talking this morning about 
two women who've had abortions about their experiences and reflections ahead of the probable end of Roe versus Wade. With us this hour is Renee Bracey Sherman. She's founder and executive director of We Testify. It is an organization dedicated to the leadership and representation of people who have abortions. And we do want to hear from you if you've had an abortion or thought about having one. Give us a call. Tell us about the decision you made and how you're processing this moment. We're at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we're at KQED Forum. And you can also email us at forum at kqed.org. We're going to bring in a second guest in a moment. But first, I do want to go to another call. We have Aaron on the line from Marin. Aaron, give us uh, what. tell us what's on your mind. Hi, thanks so much for taking my call. This is actually not about me. This is about my mom. In 1970 in Ohio, before Roe versus Wade was passed, to begin with, she was a 19-year-old college student who was with my dad, and she got pregnant and needed to have an abortion. So she reached out to a friend whose mother put her in touch with a quote-unquote sympathetic psychiatrist who she had to then present to um, with suicidal ideation as a means to seek an abortion, meaning that her she was terrified of um, what this would do to her at the time. And the only way to go about accessing safe and not even yet legal was to convince a psychiatrist that it was in her best interest to end the pregnancy. And the psychiatrist then put her in touch with an OBGYN who did perform the procedure in a really safe way, and it was not legal. So that was her story, and I'm calling today because I think if Roe versus Wade is overturned, we're looking at an even worse outcome than that. And you can think, you can only imagine how terrified she must have been at the time. Yeah, so that's why I wanted to call. Thanks for sharing that, Erin. When did your mom talk to you about this? She only told me two days ago, the day oh before gosh. Mother's oh, Day. Wow. I didn't even know. Yeah. I didn't even know. And she's an activist and a lawyer. And I, we're all, I have two young girls and we're all really terrified, not only what it means for us, but what it means for so many other people in the entire country. And I think uh, we're, we're in a really serious downward spiral. And I, and I hope people can find their voice and take action. Thank you so much for, for calling, Erin. Um, I also want to introduce uh, Rana E. Barrar. She is Senior Program Manager at UC San Francisco, and she has both a personal story and a professional story about this. Rana, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks so much for having me, Maurice. I'm really big fan of the show, so I'm excited to be here. Well, uh, just to give folks a little background, you um, have done a lot of research at your job at UCSF looking at the long-term sort of effects on women who have had abortions. But you've also been very open about your own story. You already had two kids um, when you had an abortion, which is a pretty common event, right? I think it's something like two-thirds of women um, are already mothers. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I had um, an abortion when I was 40, um, and my kids were uh, 10 and 14 at the time, I think. And like many moms who um, have abortions, I, for me, it was really um, about my existing children and about the, um, the amount of attention I wanted to be able to give them as they entered their tween and teen years. 
And, you know, I, um, a colleague of mine at UCSF, Jen Kearns was on, it's been a minute over the weekend. And she said something really profound that resonated with me so much. She said, you know, for many people seeking abortions, it's an act of love, mm-hmm. um, for themselves and for their existing children. And I think that's, um, very much true for moms who have abortions. And it certainly was for me. Yeah. And Rana talked a little bit about what you have found, you know, talking to women and and people who have had abortions and and, and what their sort of long-term impacts and takeaways are. Sure. Yeah. Um, So I spent um, more than a decade uh, working on the Turnaway Study, um, which was a study where we followed a thousand women across the United States for five years. Uh, The women that we recruited into the study were either, were all seeking abortion care um, and they were either, uh, they were, they either had abortions or were turned away because they were past the gestational limit of the clinic where they sought care. And we followed them for five years with interviews every six months. Um, My good friend and colleague, Diana Foster was the principal investigator of that study. And we found that there were serious consequences for women and their children of being denied a wanted abortion. Um, So for example, as Renee talked about earlier, hi Renee, it's great to hear your voice. Um, As Renee talked about earlier, um, uh, people who are in violent relationships um, and seek abortion because they um, do not wanna be tethered to that abusive partner. Um, are more likely uh, to stay in violent relationships or to stay in, continue to have um, violence in their lives um, if they are turned away from a wanted abortion. Um, uh, People who are turned away are more likely to um, have, to live in poverty um, for uh, at least five years after the abortion. Um, so there are serious consequences of not being able to receive a wanted abortion. Mm-hmm. And those are the kinds of things that we're facing um, in in the coming years, unfortunately. Yeah. One thing really struck me, too, is this idea that, uh, you know, almost for approximately the one third of women who reported feeling some regret, they say that it was still the right decision. And that a lot of the regret was not about whether or not to carry a pregnancy to term, but about the reaction of sort of people and society around them. Um, And I got to say, talking to folks in my life over the past week, I've heard that same thing. Absolutely. Um, I think women uh, experience a range of emotions about abortion. Mine was a very uncomplicated decision for me and my partner. um, And um, I don't have regret about it, but I do have mixed feelings about it. And Um, I think people experience, just like any other life event, people experience a range of emotions and that those emotions reduce in intensity over time. And that's definitely what we saw in the data, but it's also what we hear from, I mean, I'm sure Renee um, has this experience too. It's what we hear from people who have abortions. There there are complicated feelings about it. Um, Sometimes really complicated, sometimes not at all complicated. Um, sometimes um, negative uh, and strongly negative, sometimes positive and strongly positive. But um, but there are a range of feelings about all kinds of decisions and um, legislating regret, legislating how people feel about things is is impossible right. <laughs> and a fool's errand, you know? Yeah. 
And it's okay to have mixed feelings about something. Yeah. Renee, uh, Bracey Sherman, uh, just your reaction to what we're hearing from Rana and, and some of our callers. Well, I love everything Rana says. Rana is also a storyteller with We Testify. So um, I love Rana so much. And I think everything she's saying illustrates um, what we hear from people who've had abortions and want to share their stories and also why they want to share their stories. They want to be able to take this from being this seen as such a simple, either you're for it or you're against it kind of a thing and, and complicated and say, yeah, it's okay for us to have complicated feelings. There are feelings to have. It's okay to feel a range of emotions. It's okay, right? And we even have some storytellers and we testify who do have some feelings of regret about their abortions, but that doesn't mean they want to see it illegal. They know that it was still their decision to make. And also what people tend to feel complicated feelings about, as Rana mentioned, is all of the systems and situations and things, everything that was surrounding their abortion decision. Maybe not having wanted to be pregnant at all, or maybe having wanted to parent, but because our nation has no paid parental leave across the nation, no universal childcare, no universal basic income, diapers aren't even covered on WIC. Like any of those things, they feel pressured to make a decision that if they had had maybe more money, they would make a different decision. And then also there are those of us who, no matter how much money we had, we simply didn't want to be pregnant. And all of that is okay. We need to make space for us to be able to talk about it and say that it is not the place of the government to make that decision for us. Absolutely. I want to bring in another caller. We have Emily from Fairfield on the line. Emily, go ahead. Hi there. I just want to say that Although I haven't had an abortion myself, I've had four miscarriages, and the one at 16 weeks I'm so sorry. was um, un- it was kind of unbearable for a few for a few days because uh, because abortions are so restrictive, I couldn't access the medical care yeah. I wanted, and um, they said, "Well, you can go to Planned Parenthood," but there's waiting lists and stuff, and they couldn't just get me in the next day, and. Uh, and that's not their fault. That's the way it is. But I think people think abortion's more convenient than it is. It's not convenient. It's not accessible. And even for people who want to have kids, it'd be nice to be less restricted. You can get it at any doctor's office. Yeah. That's all. Thank you so much. And Emily brings up a great point, Rana, that, you know, these procedures are also what's often used to help a woman if she loses a baby through a miscarriage. Yeah, absolutely. I think that illustrates, and Emily, I'm so sorry for, for your pregnancy loss. Um, I, it's, it, it's so incredibly hard. And I think it illustrates, you know, the continuum of the role that abortion plays in the continuum of people's reproductive lives. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to tell my story and why I talk openly about it with my kids um, and why I sort of talk to everyone who will listen about it. Um, Because because it really, you know, abortion isn't this thing outside of of uh, of our of our reproductive lives, of our reproductive health care. It's some it's a part of that continuum. I had three pregnancies. I had two of them end in birth, one of them ended in abortion, 
I'm I'm about to sort of go into menopause. These are all part of the same story. It's part of my reproductive story. Um, Renee has her reproductive story, and and miscarriage is often part of that. And Renee is right that you know restricting these procedures also restricts people's ability to make decisions in cases of wanted pregnancy, and 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 causes people pain and um, and harm. Yeah. I want to introduce um, another guest. We have Carol King with us. She is joining us from Los Angeles. She's a longtime feminist advocate who's held leadership positions with NARAL and NOW. And she has her own uh, stories to share. Carol, welcome to Forum. Thank you very much. And thank you for, for doing this. It's very necessary. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you being willing uh, to come on and share your story. Let's start first. Uh, you, you've spoken quite a bit about getting pregnant in 1968, obviously, before Roe v. Wade. Talk mm-hmm. about that experience um, and what it was like, because I, I think you felt very hopeless, like there was no options available. Absolutely. I was uh, in college. I was the first person in my family to go to college. My father had died the year before. And I got pregnant and it was the most terrifying time of my life. And I still remember how frightened I was. And I went to a doctor, had my very first gynecological examination when he told me I was pregnant. And I left his office in shock and disbelief. And a little bit of denial. I I had hoped with all my heart that I wasn't going to be pregnant because I didn't know what to do. I was born and raised in a Catholic family. My mother was a devout Catholic. And I had a cousin who had been pregnant the year before. And I remember my mother's horror at my cousin's pregnancy. And my mother came home and said to me, oh, your poor uncle and aunt, what they have to deal with now. And I said, what about my poor cousin? Hmm. And the thought that the family would be shamed. I think people, to some extent, don't realize the stigma attached to single motherhood and unplanned pregnancies and unwed motherhood at that time. Yeah. We've, we've, we've lost some of that, thankfully. But at the time, in 1968, it was horrifying. And I was fortunate because I started bleeding and I was told that I should stay in bed and take it easy. And that would help me save the pregnancy, which I did the exact opposite. I (laughs) I was in the dormitory on the fifth floor and I ran around from one staircase to the other. I ran through the dorm in one hall, down the stairs and around the, down the hall and up the stairs. And, and I did that hoping that that would sort of end the pregnancy for me. I begged my roommate to kick me in the stomach. Nobody, nobody would do that. Mm-hmm. But fortunately for me, Um, I had a spontaneous abortion, basically a miscarriage in the bathroom in the dormitory. And the women on my floor at this time, it was all one sex dormitories. 
and the girls were locked in at night to be safe from the boys, apparently, who were running wild through the streets. Anyway, we these women on my floor came and sat with me as I sat on the toilet in the dormitory and sat with me, talked to me, held my hand, hugged me when I'd start crying and supported me until I had a miscarriage. And one of the women, the young women in the dorm was told to take the fish, whatever it was out of the toilet and bring it to the university health center so they could see if I'd need any further medical treatment. And were you worried that they would also uh, accuse you of doing this on purpose? I mean, I think some like that's one of the concerns we see now is that even women who go through yes. miscarriage could be in violation of some of the laws we're seeing proposed in some states. You know, that thought didn't occur to me because I was surrounded by these women who were so supportive. And it was, and quite honestly, I didn't know anybody. I knew nothing about abortion. I had no idea that that was a possibility, legal or illegal, Mm -hmm. until well into the pregnancy, one of my worldly friends told me that I could go to New York, but I had no way of doing that. So it was a helpless feeling. And I'll tell you, until you have experienced that moment, you see a vision of your life that you never thought about. It's it's a path you didn't want to take. It it destroys your, your plans for your future. And the terror, the terror of telling my family, I can still conjure up that feeling when I talk about it. I have never been so frightened in my life. I have never before or since thought of suicide, but it was what I considered to be an option at that time. Fortunately, I didn't need it. Thank you, Carol, so much for being here with us. We're talking to Carol King, a longtime feminist advocate, sharing her story about becoming pregnant in 1968 before Roe v. Wade. Also with us, Renee Bracey Sherman, founder and executive director of We Testify, and Rana E. Barrar. She's a senior program manager at UCSF. We are talking to women about their abortion stories, people who've had abortions. You can tell us about your decision. Call us at 866-733. That's 866-733-678. Forgot those last four numbers. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I am Marisa Lagos. And today for Mina Kim, we are talking uh, with our listeners and guests about their personal abortion stories. And we have a lot of comments coming in. Um, One listener says, as a woman who's had two abortions when I was very young, let's make this about what it's really about, body sovereignty. I really implore you to fight back against this crazy narrative that this is about having an abortion or not having an abortion. It is unequivocally not. Make the discussion about what it really is, body sovereignty and the right to choose by buying into this other narrative, you're simply strengthening the anti-choice movement. Noelle writes, uh, we need to keep talking about abortion openly to end the shame. The anti-abortion movement thrives on secrecy, stigma, and making you feel alone. And I have a couple other first-person stories. Uh, A listener writes that in 1972, weeks prior to my 18th birthday and high school graduation, I was unknowingly drugged by a fellow classmate while on a first date. He drove me to a familiar field near a winery and took advantage of my inability to move. Nearly eight weeks later, via the county health department, I was able to secure an abortion. But due to the political climate of blaming the victim, I refused to name my assailant. As a result, I found the female staff who were able to explain that I'd been drugged more compassionate passionate than the male doctors who treated me with disdain. Uh, She says that there were stories shared by other women in the post-surgery room that still stick with her, including several with large families who did not have the ability to support another child. I chose to have children after I was in a secure and loving relationship 20 years later, and I have no regrets, but I do mourn the fact that my innocence was stolen and that it affected me for longer than I expected. Um, I also want to play uh, a cut from Representative Barbara Lee. She is a congresswoman from Oakland who's spoken very openly in the past year about her own abortion story. Here she is. No, when I was 15 years old, this was way before Roe versus Wade. I got pregnant. My mother and I, and she was so supportive and loving, and, and she knew what this meant to me as a 15-year-old. Of course, there were no safe legal abortions in the United States. She had a friend, God love her friend, who just passed away about a month ago, who knew a doctor in, in Juarez, Mexico, where I was raised in El Paso, Texas, border town. So I flew there with her friend. Her friend was so kind and loving with me and took me to this doctor that she knew in a back alley, mind you, in a dark back alley at about 10, 1030 at night, very dark. And uh, she took me into this small little clinic. Uh, The lights, it was dark, but there were lights shining right on the bed. And uh, this doctor had on a white coat and he performed uh, an abortion and I lived. And that was terrifying for me. It was, it was, I can't even, it was traumatic. I can't even describe it because all the triggers now, of course, come back. But for me, uh, I don't want anybody to have to go through what I went through, having an unsafe, illegal abortion. That is Representative Barbara Lee of Oakland. Carol King, um, does that ring true to you, the stories you've heard over the years? Oh, my God, Yes. When I was listening to Renee describe the uh, the sessions that they've held during during the eighties, when these restrictions started coming at us fast and furiously, we started speakouts in which we all decided to convene a gathering and invite the media and invite legislators and policymakers to attend to hear first person stories from women. And at that time, many of them were pre-Roe. And they were very moving and very powerful. And some of the most heartbreaking stories, I, I can still remember yeah. some of them to this day. Um, I have one yeah. friend who almost died. And 
those kinds of things are what sticks with you. Yeah. I want to bring in more callers because we're getting a lot of response. Um, and uh, first, I'm going to go to Elizabeth in Oakland. Elizabeth, go ahead. Hi. Uh, thanks so much. And I'm, I love how hard it was for me to get through. And that tells me lots of people want to tell their stories. <laughs> they do. I'm trying to fit them all lines. in. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Right. Okay. So I won't take too long. But when I, I'm, I'm now 64. When I was 24... I was a fundamentalist Christian missionary, and I was told I couldn't have sex until I was married, and that was very hard (laughs) at 24, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to admit, though, that I was going to have sex, because that would have been sin against God. So instead of using contraceptive, we just went ahead and had sex, and of course, You know, I got pregnant. I was living with the minister and his wife for my area and taking care of their kids while I was in college. And, of course, I couldn't tell them. I couldn't tell anybody, just my boyfriend. I lived in Boston at the time I was going to Boston University. And um, it was not, for me personally, it was not, I wasn't medically challenged. None of those things. I was just in a position at the age of 24, a fundamentalist Christian, with no backup at all. Some guy had been dating for two months, and I got pregnant. So I I determined to have an abortion. I'm still childless. I really wanted to have kids in my life. And yet, I don't for a second, one second, feel badly about this abortion. It was absolutely the right choice for me, for the guy I was with, for my family in, you know, in the background, like what would they have done to deal with me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, it just was not a good time to have a baby. It would have been horrible for that child. I was immensely depressed. I was in no position to take care of a little person. And so I had an abortion. I feel like Wow, if I if, and it turned out that guy was nutty pants, I would have been tied to him <laughs> for life, right? Yeah, I would have been tied to this guy who turned out to be a liar and cheater and all these horrible things to other people. And so, for me, I I feel like you know I dodged a bullet getting yeah. being able to have an abortion that right and 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 the removing the guilt is so crucial, which is why I'm so glad we're telling our stories, you know. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. Yeah, I really appreciate you telling yours. And I do want to pack in a few more stories. So we're going to let you go. But again, thank you so much for your openness and honesty. Um, Marisa, I I just wanted to um, pull out a couple of threads from from Elizabeth's story, because I think it's important. I think one of the things that that play out plays out in the data is that um, just like Elizabeth said, um, however complicated or uncomplicated your feelings are about abortion, what we see in the data is the vast majority of people say they would make the same decision again, say that it was the right decision for them. And um, and I think that's really important for people to know because um, 
feelings are personal and and going back to that moment and saying yep that would that was still the right decision for me the vast majority of people say that so that yeah. that really um plays out in the data as well thank you this is Rana Ibarar she's senior program manager at UCSF and we next have a call from Hunter in Sebastopol Hunter go ahead hi um thank you so much it occurred to me that this these conversations it's too bad they're not televised at prime time every day right now because you know this is just us listening and it should be everybody but um i had an abortion at the age of 26 i was a practicing drug addict and alcoholic and there was no way i could have taken care of a baby i couldn't take care of myself i did go on to change my life and completely turn it around and eventually have a family but i never regretted that decision at all and i have been able to counsel my son who just became, he's 20, he just became physically, act, uh, intimately active last year, and I was able to counsel him with his girlfriend on protection. And um, we're very open about that, and I just imagine that so many of those stories would change if this right that we currently have is taken away, and how many unwanted babies we have in the population of drug, addiction, drug addicted women and uh, young women who are not prepared at all to take care of a child. Yeah. And we, we don't have services for them without children, so services for them with children would, would be even, even worse. So thank, thank you, you Hunter. so much thank for you, having Hunter. this conversation. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah, thanks for sharing. All right, we're going to go next to Flavia in Ashland, Oregon. Flavia, go ahead. Hi, uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, you sound great. Okay. So um, my story was in 1975, I had just given birth to my son uh, with my boyfriend, and we were so destitute. Uh, in the two, two and a half years I was with my boyfriend, we had to move 20 times, and he couldn't hold a job because he was so hot-tempered. And uh, the doctor told me the only form of birth control I could use while I was breastfeeding was an aspirin between my knees. So he didn't really care. That's wow. not what doctors should be telling women. And um, so I got pregnant, as, you know, right after my son was born. And I knew my boyfriend was physically violent. He was already violent again with me. And uh, so we, we had to admit that we couldn't handle this extra burden. So we did it. And I don't regret it now. He went on to have 11 more kids with all oh different gosh. women, never supported any of them um, until the very last one. And I got my tubes tied when I was 23. And so I don't know who is the irresponsible one here. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, thank goodness my son loves me and we're close. But, you know, he didn't have an easy childhood. And I, I just... It's, it's impossible. I've been so depressed all week thinking that this is what women are going to be dealing with. Um, you know, irresponsible men and uh, forced, uh, forced to have babies. It's, it, it's not good for the babies. It's not good for society. Thank you so much for sharing that, Flavia. Wow, I'm getting uh, choked up here. Um, we really appreciate your phone call. And um, I'm, I know, uh, Renee Bracey-Sherman, you've heard a lot of these calls. Do you, do you want to just uh, quickly react to that? 
Yeah, yesterday um, I was at the Supreme Court, <laughs> as I have been most of last week, but uh, there was a Mother's Day march uh, for abortion access, and it was really, really wonderful to see how many people who were up there sharing their abortion stories were saying that they had done it so that they could take care of the kids that they already had, yeah. or also so that they could become parents when they were ready. And I think people really need to understand that this is about who gets to make that decision, who gets trusted to decide if, when, and how to grow our families. And it just I just think about how many families would be or not be in the way that they are if abortion was not accessible. And, you know, um, as the Turnaway study shows that people who are denied abortions um, end up having children and then most go on to parent and and do go to love their children, right? That right. is that is really important. But also, it's still not the life that they would have chosen for themselves or for their children, especially in a country that does not have any sort of social safety nets to speak of for people who are make it, where it's really hard to make ends meet. Absolutely. So, I think it's really really important that we talk about abortion as a way of caring for our families and making sure that we have everything we need to have the best families possible. We and are, we do. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh I just, <laughs> just quickly, you are listening to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in Fermina Kim. Rana, did you want to go ahead? Yes. Um, so sorry about that, Marisa. Um, just to, to build on what Renee said, we, we actually see so much of that in the data as well um, that um, the children of women um, who uh, who already the children that women already have at the time they seek abortion. So you know that two thirds of women who have children already when they seek abortion, um, there there are effects negative effects on the child development of those existing children. Um, the children born after being denied abortion are more likely to live in poverty. Um, and and we do see poorer maternal bonding. I think Renee's right. Women, of course, love their children, um, but we do see poorer maternal bonding after carrying an unwanted pregnancy to term. So there are real consequences. And I think what we see in these stories from people who are calling in um, yeah. and in the data is that that women are the best placed to know the circumstances of their lives. All the women, all the reasons that women give for wanting an abortion play out in the data. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to cut you off, but we have so many calls and I want to get to a few more. We only have like four minutes absolutely. till the end of the hour. So Sarah from San Rafael, Sarah, go ahead. Hi, I don't know if you can hear me, but, um, yeah, I just wanted to share my story. I was 15 when I got an abortion, um, and thank God that I did. I'm so grateful that I grew up in a time period where it was um, something that I could do at Planned Parenthood. My parents didn't have to find out. Um, I want to just say that I know many, many women, and the majority of them have gotten abortions in their life and these are not serial killers they're not heinous people they're very good people and they all went on to either have children or have careers um but it, it, they moved past and beyond this uh, medical procedure that actually probably helped their experience from what we all communicate about and i'm just yeah. i 
just feel like we are not able to grieve the process or even acknowledge the process until literally 2022. And this has been um, an available process for 50 years. And so if it wasn't for programs like Forum, we wouldn't even be able to have this conversation. And um, I just am appreciative of it. And I want to give a shout out to Planned Parenthood because I know that for myself and many, many women, it was the only form of medical health care that we had um, through our 20s, teen years, and 30s. Um, so for whatever it is, um, that is that is the fact. We did not have, you know, working as waitresses and, and, and lower paid jobs, um, the financial ability to pay for health care. So Planned Parenthood came through in a major way. And I, I wish that that was acknowledged way more. And I'm so glad this conversation is happening. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you, Sarah. Um, we are just a few minutes from the end of our hour. I just want to acknowledge we've gotten so many calls and comments. We have a 76-year-old woman who wrote in to tell her abortion story at age 19. Uh, she says that her boyfriend's grandmother later confided in her that she herself had sought out an abortion in the 1920s. Another listener tells us that she was 21 weeks pregnant when she had an abortion and that she's immensely grateful to this day that she had the option she was 41, married, the mother of a beautiful daughter and a working professional. She had suffered two miscarriages and became pregnant through IVF, but they found out that there was a serious genetic disorder with the baby. Um, and she says, my husband and I were clear that the best decision we could make was an abortion, even with the knowledge that we would likely have no more children. I can't imagine not having the option of an abortion. Um Another listener tells us that uh, she was 43 and has two kids and that uh, about nine months after she had an IUD inserted, she realized she was pregnant um, and that the decision felt like an obvious one because she was already 40 and had the family she wanted. Finally, Morgan writes, I became pregnant when I was raped while living in a national park. I was drinking very heavily beer for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. A federal agent offered to accompany me to an abortion provider because she had a friend who had needed an abortion as well. I think the right to an abortion is the right to privacy, and the federal government and men in general have no right to say whether a woman has a right to abort a fetus. Even my conservative Roman Catholic father agreed that abortion in the case of rape and incest was a necessary procedure. I just want to say thank you so much to our guest, Renee Bracey Sherman, founder and executive director of We Testify, Rana E. Barar, senior program manager at UCSF, and Carol King, a longtime feminist advocate. Thanks to you three for sharing your stories, and thank you so much to the public. I just, I'm blown away by how much response we got, and I am so sorry we did not get to everybody. Um, but thank you, Renee, Rana, Carol. We really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. This is Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos. I've been in for Mina Kim. She'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com.
We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.